My name is Greg Kodrowski, and this is my podcast, Theology 101. I like to study the Bible, and I don't think the Bible is really that difficult to understand. For the most part, it's really pretty simple, and simple is better. So if you're like me, and you want to know more about the Bible, or if you just want to hear more about the Bible, stick around. And if you want to know more about me or check out my pedigree, Google me or visit my website, theology101.net. What in the world are we supposed to be doing? Have you ever asked yourself that? What does God want me to do? You know, we looked in our last podcast, we looked a little bit at our purpose, the purpose that God has for us in life. We're here to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's a really, really good place to start. And it kind of leaves us with a question. How do we do that? You know, if you want to glorify God, you want to enjoy Him, uh, what do we need to be doing? And so in this podcast, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about what God expects of us, how God established some uh, works that he wants us to do, what the works are, and how we get that done. And that means we're going to be talking about our mission, the mission that God has given us. You know, what's our purpose in life? Glorify God and enjoy him forever. How do we do that? By fulfilling the mission he gave us to do. You say, well, how do you know that? John seventeen four. A lot of other verses we could go to, but this one I think grabs the, uh, grabs the idea, communicates it well. In John 17, this is Jesus Christ's uh, prayer before God the Father, right before he goes to the cross. And in John 17, 4, the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, I have glorified thee on earth. Now there's our purpose. We talked about that extensively in our last podcast. Talked about glorifying God on earth and enjoying him forever. And Jesus Christ, with the joy set before him, Hebrews 12, 2, says to the Father, right before going to the cross, he says, I have glorified thee on earth. He says, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. If we want to glorify God on earth, we want to enjoy him forever, we need to be fulfilling and doing the work that he gave us to do. That's our mission, and that's what I want to talk about. Our mission, and we can state it really clearly here on, on the outset, Our mission is very simple. Our mission as a church, our mission as individuals, our mission as Christians is to be and make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's our mission. Now, this brings up a secondary issue, and I want to talk about the secondary issue before we jump into the details of what we're looking at. And that secondary issue is related to our vocabulary the words that we use, the phrases that we use. We tend to develop a Christianized or church vocabulary. And what we do with that is communicate bad doctrine and confuse people because we have something in our mind that we think we're communicating, and we're not. People are not hearing the same thing. We use words and phrases, and words and phrases communicate ideas. And they can communicate the right ideas, or they can communicate the wrong ideas. Words have meaning. And so I think it's important that we choose our words with care. Now, I know there's some concepts in the Bible, and we have to invent terms for those. Um, I've had several talks with several people about the word rapture. 
The word rapture is not mentioned in the Bible, and yet we have an entire doctrine built around a term, rapture, that's not found in the Bible, but the concept is. Same with Trinity. We talk about the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Well, Trinity, the word, is not found in Scripture, but the concept is. Okay, so let's talk about something. I'll give you an example And then I'm going to use that example to show you the importance of vocabulary when we talk about discipleship. Have you ever heard somebody say, or have you ever used the phrase, because I know I have, you need to accept Jesus in your heart. We evangelize, want to tell people about Christ. We want to tell people about what the Bible says about heaven and hell and and how to avoid one, how to get into the other, what happens after you die. And we use phrases with good intention, okay, sometimes even with biblical concepts in mind, and we say things like, you need to accept Jesus into your heart. Okay, we throw that phrase around just like it was biblical. It's not. Accept Jesus as your Savior is not a biblical phrase, and I want to say that it also communicates bad doctrine, bad soteriology, bad doctrine about salvation. Now, I know your mind probably ran right to John 1.12. You say, well, John 1.12 says, yeah, I know. John 1.12 says we must receive Christ doesn't say we accept him. See, that's a different word. Yes, and words have meaning. So the problem is the confusion that we cause when we read other passages in the Bible like Ephesians 1.6. Have you ever read Ephesians 1.6? Do you know Ephesians 1.6? It says that we are accepted by God in the Beloved. And so right away when we tell people they need to accept Jesus Christ, we're contradicting what the Bible says because we actually need God to accept us. So in this example, accept Jesus, you know, I say it teaches bad soteriology. It teaches a bad view of salvation. It's bad doctrine. So words mean things. Think about this. When we say you need to accept Jesus, I want to ask you, who do we place in the position of authority? When we're talking to a lost person and we say, oh, please, I want you to go to heaven. Wouldn't you please just accept Jesus? And we paint Jesus, okay, again, using bad doctrine, running over to to Revelation chapter 3, where Jesus is on the outside knocking to get in, and we say, Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart. Won't you please accept him into your heart as your Savior? Well, who have we placed in a position of authority? We've placed a lost person in a position of authority. Jesus is weak and effeminate. He's outside knocking on the door trying to get in saying, Oh, please, please, please accept me, accept me, accept me. When the Bible says it's just the opposite. Good soteriology, biblical, the biblical doctrine of salvation— paints God as the sovereign creator and ruler of the universe. God is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the right ruler over everything. He's the one seated on the throne. The Bible says, 
and I know, I know, this is just, this is going to be bad. The Bible says that God is angry with the wicked every day. And the, God says he, the Bible says that God will pour out his wrath upon all workers of iniquity. But if a sinner will respond to God's offer of clemency, you see, God is king, God is angry with the wicked every day, but in his patience and long-suffering, he is withholding his wrath for a time and offering the rebellious subjects of his kingdom, us, he's offering us clemency. Clemency from the king, who is angry with his subjects because of their rebellion. Clemency, forgiveness, pardon, places the conditions. He says you must repent in humble repentance, repent of your sins, and trust in the Son and his sacrifice, the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ on the cross. If you do that, the Bible says God will accept you in Jesus Christ. We don't accept God. We don't accept Jesus Christ. We hear the message of forgiveness. We hear the message of clemency that God the King, the sovereign creator and ruler of the universe, have sent through his messengers, his ambassadors, calling the rebellious subjects to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, calling them to hum- to humble themselves, to humble themselves before their Creator and repent and believe on Christ. If they will do that, God in His grace will forgive them of their sins, send His Holy Spirit to dwell in them. They will be born again by the Spirit of God, made part of the family of God, and receive new life. An entirely new relationship with God. All things new, old things passed away. So with that example, accept Jesus into your heart, which is totally unbiblical, communicates bad doctrine. I want to say words communicate things. Words communicate meaning. So we need to be very careful about using words that communicate the meaning that we want to convey. Now, this same principle applies to our mission in life. Our mission in life, to be and make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to fulfill our purpose in life, which is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We need to do what God wants us to do, and that's our mission. Be and make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's the, the, here's the, the, the lesson about our vocabulary. When we speak of discipleship in the modern church today, we often use terms that divorce discipleship from evangelism. How many times have you done that? How many times have you heard that? How many times do we hear that on a regular basis, and do we fall into this habit of talking about evangelism and discipleship? Man, we need to go evangelize the lost. We need to get them plugged into the church so we can disciple them. Now, when we do that, we communicate the idea that those are two separate and distinct things. Evangelism and discipleship. Evangelism and discipleship. We go out and evangelize the lost, and we disciple them when they get saved. Folks, that's not Bible. Evangelism, according to the Bible, forms part of discipleship. Evangelism is the beginning and the end of discipleship. Think about it this way. Discipleship begins with evangelism because that's how a disciple is made, created. You look at a lost guy. Who's he following? 
He is a disciple of somebody. Who's he following? Well, you know, we could go all the way out into the, to the vast spiritual realm and say he's following his father, the devil. Yeah. He's following the world system. Yeah. He's following in his father's footsteps. Yeah. He's following his heart. Yeah. If he's watched enough of Disney, um, he knows that he should follow his heart. Well, whoever he's following, he's not following the Lord Jesus Christ, so he's not a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so discipleship begins with evangelism because in evangelism we call the sinner to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. In repentance, he is to turn from sin and self and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. See, if Jesus is not his Lord and Savior... Well, he's not a disciple. He's not a Christian. He's still in sin. Now, I'm not talking about lordship salvation, all of this stuff about, well, if Jesus isn't Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. I'm not talking about that. But I am saying that the Bible is very, very clear that repentance is a necessary aspect of conversion for salvation. Paul preached repentance and faith. It is a conversion from sin and self, your idols, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we grow in Jesus Christ, as we grow in holiness and sanctification, well, Christ becomes Lord over different areas of our lives. We grow in that, I understand. But we need to understand, too, that repentance is a requirement, a condition for salvation. The discipleship, being becoming a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, it begins with evangelism. That's how a disciple is made, repentance and faith, turning from sin and self, his idols, to the Lord Jesus Christ to follow him. And then that disciple begins to walk in the footsteps of his master and become like him. And then I could say, or we could say in a certain sense, the discipleship ends with evangelism. Because that's the goal in discipleship. You know, we don't just get saved to sit. We get saved to work. God puts us to work. He sends us back out into the field. Why? So that we can make disciples. So the disciple grows in, the, in, in Jesus Christ, in Christ-likeness, and God molds him into a person who is a disciple-maker, someone who evangelizes the lost to make a disciple, and then helps those disciples to grow in edification. So here's the problem. If we divorce evangelism from discipleship, even in our vocabulary, you say, well, well, I understand what you said about evangelism and discipleship, but we're going to still use evangelism in one way and discipleship in another. We evangelize outside the church and we disciple in the church. If we do that, we divorce evangelism from discipleship, Well, then what we're doing is we're giving license to those of us who feel much more comfortable discipling believers, and so we can justify not going out and doing the irksome work of evangelism. You know, it's difficult to go outside the church to find lost people that you don't know and to witness to them. It's difficult trying to witness to your family members and your friends, your co-workers. It's difficult. So if we define the Great Commission, if we say the Great Commission is all about making disciples and discipling and discipleship, and and we use these terms, disciple, 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 
If we do that, well, then we can say, hey, I'm discipling. If disciple is really just helping believers grow in Jesus Christ, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get myself a nice Sunday school class, okay? And then I'm going to disciple believers, and then I can leave the work of evangelism to those who have the gift of evangelism, right? Well, there is no gift of evangelism in the Bible. We're all called to the uncomfortable work of evangelizing the lost. And we're all called to help other believers grow in the faith and become more like Christ, to help them edify themselves in Jesus Christ. So I think we need to take great care to use words that communicate what the Bible says about our mission. And I think there's two words we need to use when we refer to our mission of being and making disciples. Our purpose in life is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. In order to do that, just like Jesus said in John 17, 4, I have glorified thee on earth, I have finished a work that you've given me to do. Well, what is that work? Our work is the work of being and making disciples. And there's two aspects to that work. Evangelism and edification. So when we speak about discipleship, we need to get used to using these two terms because these two terms communicate the simple picture of what biblical discipleship is in the church age. Evangelism and edification. You want to make a disciple? You want to make disciples? You want to fulfill the Great Commission? You want to fulfill your life's mission and glorify God and enjoy Him forever? You need to be about the work of evangelism and edification. A disciple is made in the sense of created, through evangelism. And a disciple is made in the sense of molded or formed, conformed to the image of Christ through edification. We're edified. We grow in spiritual maturity. We grow in Christ-likeness. That's edification. Both of those together, evangelism and edification, are what we call discipleship, making disciples. Now, those two, those, two, those two terms, same two terms, evangelism and edification, they apply to being a disciple also. In order to make disciples, we need to be disciples. To be a disciple, we need to first be saved. We need to respond to the gospel through evangelism. Somebody evangelized us. We need to be saved. You want to be a disciple? You've got to be saved. And then a disciple is also one who is growing in sanctification. We respond to the Word of God so that we can be edified in the Lord Jesus Christ. And only then, when we are being disciples, saved and sanctified, saved, growing in holiness, only then can we go and make disciples of others. Because a tree will reproduce after its kind. Dogs reproduce after their kind. Animals reproduce after their kind. Christians reproduce after their kind. So let's go back to where we started. I've said this several times, and I'll probably keep repeating myself. Our purpose in life is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. When we live in such a way as to glorify God, we will enjoy Him now and forever. If we aren't, we aren't really enjoying the Lord right now. Chances are, we aren't really living how we should. We aren't really living in a way that glorifies Him. And this allows us to tie in the mission. 
To glorify God and enjoy Him forever, we must be and make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. We must be disciples, saved and growing in sanctification. That's evangelism and edification. And then we must make disciples, evangelizing the lost and edifying the saved. So if we're not really enjoying God right now, just ask just ask yourself, hey, am I being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? Am I saved? Am I growing in sanctification? Am I growing in Christ-likeness? And then you need to ask yourself, am I making disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ? Am I actively evangelizing the lost? Am I helping other believers to edify themselves in Christ? If we're not actively and intentionally participating in the mission of being and making disciples, we're not living according to the purpose for which God has designed us. And that means life just doesn't work the way it should. So, with that brief introduction in mind, I want to talk a little bit about what the Bible says about our mission of being and making disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does the Scripture say about the work of evangelism and edification? Remember, discipleship is the combination of evangelism and edification, being saved and growing in sanctification. So let's talk about being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ first. Salvation. Okay, we're going to talk about salvation and sanctification. Evangelism in our lives to lead us to salvation, and then edification to lead us to growing in greater sanctification. In order to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, you must first be saved. Now, I'm not going to go into a whole lot of details here, but um, let's just let's just say it this way. We don't need to be saved to glorify God, right? Let me read to you a one of the Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 4. Proverbs 16, verse 4. God will be glorified in all of his creation. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if we're saved or a sinner, if we're if we're right with God or if we're not right with God. God will be glorified. Proverbs 16, 4. The Bible says, The Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked, for the day of evil. God's existence and his attributes, specifically his goodness and his justice, will be declared and magnified when the wicked are judged and cast into the lake of fire. It's good and right to punish lawbreakers for their crimes. And God will do just that, and when he does that, he will be glorified. His attributes will be put on display. His goodness, God is good. He is a righteous judge. His justice will be showed, manifested, exhibited, put on display when he punishes the lawless. So we don't need to be saved to glorify God. But I guarantee we definitely need to be saved if we want to enjoy God, we will never enjoy God outside of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, even though it's not very popular with the modern church, the book of Psalms, chapter 5, verse 5, it still says, and it's still the truth, that the foolish shall not stand in thy sight. It says, Thou, God, hatest all workers of iniquity. Did you know God hates all those who do bad things? I know the first thing you're thinking of, 
Okay, well, John 3.16 says, yeah, it says, God loved, for God so loved the world, past tense. If the sinner wants God's love, he has to go to the cross. Because God hates all those workers of iniquity. And it says in, in, in Psalm 7.11 that God judgeth the righteous, and it says God is angry with the wicked every day. So God hates those who do bad things, and he's angry with them every day. How in the world could someone outside of the salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ ever enjoy God who hates them and is angry with them every day? And don't kid yourself, on behalf of lost sinners, the feeling is quite mutual. Again, in the book of Psalms, chapter 2, just going to read the first three verses. Psalm 2, 1 to 3, it says, Why do the heathen rage? The heathen, the people outside of God's provision of salvation, they rage. And the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Sinners, lost sinners, are angry with God just like God is angry with them. And they shake their little fists in God's face, refusing to submit to his right and righteous rule over his creation. That'll last for just a little while. It's not going to last forever. So they're angry with God too, and you know what? They hate him. Lost sinners might create a God in their mind that they can love, but they hate the God of the Bible. Romans 1 verse 30, describing the lost sinners, it says they're backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud boasters, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. That's the lost man. So yes, God hates those who do bad things. Yeah, God is angry with the wicked every day. But you know what? Lost sinners, they're the same. They're angry with God every day. Every day they're angry with God because they know God is against them. Lost sinners hate the one true God. So the only way to both glorify God and enjoy Him forever is to be saved. Saved by the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Fulfilling our purpose in life, glorifying God and enjoying forever, it begins with salvation. Romans 5, verses 8 to 11. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's where you find the love of God. God's love is not unconditional, folks. God's love is found on the cross. You must repent, humble yourself before God, because God resists the proud. You want to find the love of God, it's found only through the Lord Jesus Christ, his sacrifice on the cross. God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. The wrath of God that will be poured out upon all the wicked who have not salvation. 
For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. So it begins with salvation, but it doesn't stop there. Okay, our mission to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, our, our, our mission, we want to glorify God and join forever. How do we do that? Well, we need to be saved. But being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ goes beyond salvation. That's how it starts. We are made a disciple. We begin the discipleship, the, that process, through salvation. But once we're saved, then what? In order to glorify God, and enjoy him forever, we must be growing in Jesus Christ, being conformed to his image in both character and conduct. And we've talked about this a lot, Romans 8, 29, this, this idea of predestination. It says, for whom, for God, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he, the Son, might be the firstborn among many brethren. God's will, God's desire, God's goal is that we all, all the saved, all the saints, be conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what predestination is. It is a predetermined destination. Some people get it backwards. It's not a predetermined beginning. It's predestination. The destination is predetermined. What's the destination? To be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's God's will. That's God's plan. Now, if we grow in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're growing in God's plan for us. God wants us to be like Jesus Christ first in character. One of the most succinct passages about the character of Jesus Christ in us, the believers, Galatians 5.22 and 23. Galatians 5.22 and 23. Fruit of the Spirit. Bible says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. God wants us to be like Jesus Christ in character. He wants to bear the fruits of the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ who dwells in us, wants us to be like Him in character. But He also wants us to be like Him in conduct. Listen to what John says, 1 John 2.6. He that saith... He abideth in him. So if you say you abide in Jesus Christ, the Bible says, He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. God wants you to walk like Jesus Christ. Walk your conduct, your lifestyle, what you do. God wants you to be like Jesus Christ in your conduct. 1 Peter 2.21 says the same thing. 1 Peter 2.21 For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently. But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. Now that verse was extra because that was verse 20. Sorry. Verse 21. This is the very next verse. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. God wants us to be like Jesus Christ in character, and God wants us to be like Jesus Christ in conduct. And because he has predetermined this destination, there's very little that, there's nothing, actually, that we could do to thwart that purpose. 
You know, God will carry out his purpose in every Christian. He has predetermined our destination. We will be conformed to the image of Christ in character and conduct. Okay? God will do that. Philippians 1.6. Philippians 1.6, it says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. In the day of Jesus Christ, in the day of the rapture, it's the day of the resurrection of our bodies. We get the glorified body that God has promised us. So God will conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. Once we're saved, we have eternal security. We cannot lose the salvation that we have once we have been born again by the Spirit of God. We cannot be unborn, just like a baby physically cannot be unborn. And God will conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. But if you choose the route in life of not cooperating with God, you will not be fulfilling your purpose because you will not enjoy God in the sanctification process. The book of Hebrews, chapter 12, that passage that talks about the um, discipline of God upon his children. You know, God will bring you to maturity. He will. And he will bring you to maturity, kicking and screaming if he has to do that. Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 9 to 11. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he, God, for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous nevertheless afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. You know, the way to both glorify God and enjoy Him now and forever is to be willingly, actively, and intentionally growing in Jesus Christ, to participate with God in the sanctification process, to be edified, to edify yourself and grow in Christ. We're going to talk about this a little bit later, about what are the means God uses to, to grow us in Jesus Christ. What can we do to grow in Jesus Christ? But right now, all we want to see is that our mission, it starts with being disciples. Evangelism results in salvation. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever, we must be saved. You can glorify God being lost but you'll never enjoy him, not now and not forever. An edification in our lives results in sanctification. We grow in holiness. We grow in Christ-likeness. And to glorify God and enjoy him forever, we need to participate with God, grow in sanctification, becoming more and more like Christ each day in character and conduct. Our mission in life starts with being disciples. But our mission in life doesn't stop there. We need to be and make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's go back and think about John 17, 4. You remember the prayer of Jesus Christ right before he's going to go to the cross? He's finished his ministry on earth. He's getting ready to, to pay the price for sins and his uh, substitutionary sacrifice on the cross at Calvary. And he prays to God the Father. He says, I've glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work you gave me to do. That's the pattern he gave us. In order to glorify God on earth, we must finish the work 
God gave us to do. You say, well, what work did God give me to do? Well, God gave us all works to do, Ephesians 2.10. You know, we always like to read Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 that, um, I'm in chapter 1, 2, 8, and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's great, that's our salvation, by grace through faith. Don't stop reading, verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. When God saved us, he created us in Jesus Christ, and he created us specifically for good works. Works that he ordained or works that he designed for us to do as part of our lifestyle, our walk in this world. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So in order to glorify God and enjoy him forever, we need to live according to the mission that God has placed in our life. We need to do the works God has given us to do on earth. Well, what are these works? You see the same works that are mentioned in Ephesians 2.10, mentioned again in Ephesians 4.11-16. 4, 11 to 16. 4 11 and 12. Let's read 4, 11, and 12 to start. It says, And he, Jesus Christ, gave some apostles, we call those missionaries today, some prophets, we call those preachers today, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. These leaders in the church, verse 12, are for the perfecting of the saints. And the saints are perfected for the work of the ministry, and we do the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. So altogether, he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Those are the works that God gave us to do. We are to submit to the local church and the structure of the local church so that we might be perfected through the preaching and teaching and application of the Scripture, the Word of God. That will perfect us, the saints, so that we might be truly furnished unto all good works. What are the good works that we're to do? Verse 12 of Ephesians 4 are the works of the ministry. Those are the works God has created you in Jesus Christ to do. The works of the ministry are the works that result in the edifying of the body of Christ. Ephesians 4.16 It says, From whom, Jesus Christ, the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Every part, every member has a part. That's how God has designed it. In order to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, we need to live according to the mission to be and make disciples. We need to do the works God gave us to do. Those works are the works of the ministry that result in the growth and the edification of the church, the body of Christ. These are the works of discipleship, evangelism, and edification, leading the lost to salvation in Christ, and then helping the saved to grow in sanctification in Christ. And God has called each and every one of us in Jesus Christ 
to this work of making disciples through evangelism and edification. 2 Corinthians 5.17, I said we were going to look at this passage, and I want to. You know, I think a lot of people probably have 2 Corinthians 5.17 memorized. You know, it's one of those favorite verses because it, uh, it makes us feel good. 2 Corinthians 5.17, the Bible says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And man, that's a joy. Okay, that, that's a treasure for us. Why? Because we made a mess of things in our lives. We know that we deserve hell. And yet in Jesus Christ, we've been made new. But we shouldn't stop there. We should continue reading. Because this newness in Jesus Christ, everything has become new. We're no longer living for sin and self. We are now living for the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Verse 18, 2 Corinthians 5.18. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. I'm going to read that verse again, but I want to draw your attention to the pronoun, us. He says it twice. All things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. Are you reconciled by Jesus Christ to God? If you're saved, if you're a Christian, you have been. You are one of us. Okay? All things are of God who hath reconciled us, the reconciled. That's us. Reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. If you're one of us, one of the reconciled, one of the Christians, one of the saved, well, you're one of us who has been given the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, verse 19, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation, the word, the message of the gospel. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God, for he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God has called each and every one of us to the work of evangelism. Evangelism has very, very little to do with gifts, and it has rather a lot to do with calling. God has called in this passage we just read. He has called everyone that has been reconciled to actively and intentionally participate in the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of getting the word of reconciliation out to the lost. Through evangelism, a disciple is made in the sense of created. And therefore, we, all of us, we fulfill the Great Commission first and foremost by evangelizing the lost. We make disciples evangelizing.
But God has also called each and every one of us to the work of edification. That's what God wants to do. That's Galatians 4.19, just to remind ourselves. Paul says in Galatians 4.19, My little children, of whom I travail in birth again, until Christ be formed in you. Just as we are to be actively and intentionally involved in evangelizing the law, so we should work actively and intentionally at helping other believers grow in Christ. Yeah, that's one of my hopes and one of my intentions here with this podcast. I hope it helps you to grow in Christ. I hope it encourages you. I hope it maybe teaches you something and opens the scripture and reminds you of a truth or something so that you can grow in Christ and see Christ formed a little bit more in you. Now, I, I want to go back to Ephesians chapter 4. If there were two passages that really grabbed the idea of the Great Commission during the Church Age, our mission, our stewardship, the responsibility, the charge that we have received from God, I'd have to point to 2 Corinthians 5, 17-21. We saw there the work of evangelism. And then I would have to say Ephesians 4, 11-16 where Paul speaks very specifically about edification. Again, Ephesians 4.11. Ephesians 4.11. And let's read the whole chapter, make a couple of comments on each verse. And he gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers, verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints. The saints are perfected for the work of the ministry. And the saints do the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. Verse 13, till, this is until, this is the goal, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. God wants all Christians to become like the perfect man, Jesus Christ. And so we're perfected so that the saints can be perfected so we can be like the perfect man, Jesus Christ. Verse 14, Ephesians 4, 14. That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. God wants his children to grow up, to be mature. He says that we henceforth be no more children. Verse 15, but rather, speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. God wants us to grow up, to stop being children, immature children, grow into spiritual maturity and grow into being like Christ. And verse 16 from whom, Christ, the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, every one of us, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, every member, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. God expects all of us, every member of the body of Christ, every saved sinner, every Christian, he expects all of us to participate with him in the ministry of the edification of the saints, helping other believers grow in Christ's likeness. That's edification. Through edification, 
A disciple is made in the sense of molded, conformed to the image of Christ, little by little, day by day, in character and conduct. We, all of us, fulfill the Great Commission by edifying other believers. That's why Paul said to the Corinthians that they should let everything be done for edification. When we go to church, it's not that you have to be a Sunday school teacher, a pastor, a preacher, or I don't know, something formal in the structure of a local church. When you go to church, when you open your mouth, everything you say should be for the edification of your brothers and sisters in Christ, not to tear them down, it's to edify them. We're members of the body of Christ, and we participate in the ministry of edification. All of us, we fulfill the Great Commission by edifying other believers. We are expected by the Lord to help other saints grow in Christ, to grow to spiritual maturity, so that they can, in turn, evangelize the lost and edify other believers. So that's our mission. That's our mission to be and make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we want to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, which includes enjoying Him now, this is how we do that. We need to be disciples. We need to be saved and be growing in sanctification, grow in holiness, grow in Christ. And we need to make disciples evangelizing the lost and edifying the saved. Folks, this is God's will for everybody. God's will for every lost person. What does God want for every lost person? 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4. 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. That's what God wants for all sinners. Evangelism, salvation, he wants them to be saved. Then what does God want for the saved sinners? What does God want for us? Well, we saw that in our predestination, the destination that God predetermined for everybody who is in Christ. For whom he did foreknow, Romans 8.29, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That's what God wants for all saved sinners. What does he want for lost people? He wants to save them through evangelism. What does he want for believers, the saints, us, Christians? He wants us to be sanctified. He wants us to grow in edification. He wants us to grow in holiness. He wants us to be like Jesus Christ, folks. That's the work of of discipleship. Luke 6:40. Luke chapter 6 verse 40, 40. The disciple is not above his master, but every one that is perfect shall be as his master. Discipleship is being and making disciples. Jesus Christ said, I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work that thou gavest me to do. Discipleship, the combination of evangelism and edification, is our mission. 
It is the work God expects us to do on earth in order to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. So I'm finished, at least for today. Let's ask ourselves a couple of questions. And I know, hey, look, I got to ask myself the same questions. I'm not up here saying I'm, I'm, I'm the picture-perfect Christian. These are my Bible studies. So as we finish up here today, just ask yourself, am I enjoying God right now? And if not, why not? Now ask yourself, am I living in a way that glorifies God? Well, if not, why not? We need to be disciples. And folks, we need to unpack that in so many ways. To be disciples means we need to be saved. That's, that's obvious. That's very simple. But we also need to be disciples in, in the work of being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And that's growing in sanctification, growing in holiness. Are you more like Jesus Christ today than you were a year ago? We need to be disciples. And we need to make disciples. We need to be very, very intentional about evangelizing the lost and edifying the saved. Are you doing that? We can glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We can. God's given us that privilege. God's given us that opportunity. It's, it's right there for the taking. If you want it, it's yours. It's up to you. We already know what God wants. God wants you to be saved. God wants you to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's what God wants. It's not hard to understand, folks. It's Theology 101. It's not that difficult. God wants you to be saved, and God wants you to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So I guess the only question we have to end with is, well, what do you want? What do you want out of life, your 70, 80, 90 years? Because once you're gone, it's done. Once you're gone, the world continues just like it was. You're not going to make some great, grand, lasting impact here. You're not. You can make a great, grand, lasting impact in eternity, but not on the earth. You can make a difference, an eternal difference, in your life. By being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, you can avoid hell by being saved, and you can live for eternity by investing in edification, becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. And you can make a difference in the lives of others. You can make a huge difference in the lives of the lost by evangelizing them. And you can make a difference in the lives of your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ by speaking the truth in love for their edification. That's our purpose. That's our mission. We're here to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We do that by finishing the work that He gave us to do, and that work is being and making disciples. Thanks for spending your time listening to my podcast, Theology 101. Simple is better, and it's just not that difficult to learn the Bible so we can do what it tells us. You can find the rest of my studies in English out on my website, theology101.net. And if you do Spanish, 
Tengo más de 15 años de estudios bíblicos disponibles en mi sitio web, teología101.net. If you'd like to contact me, there's a contact page on my website. You're also more than welcome to visit me any Sunday that you wish. My church information is also out on my website. Remember what Nicholas von Zinzendorf always said, preach the gospel, die, be forgotten. Learn the Bible, do what it tells you, and come back for more Theology 101.